Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. (laughs) Who needs sleep anyway? Good evening! You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 8, Episode 4. I'm your host, Otis Jiry, and in this episode, I'll be performing four tales to terrify you, all of them from author Elias Witherow, about malevolent mountains, murky mannequins, inverted invasions, and ill-advised inebriation. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two spine-tingling stories. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So, lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. 
Our first tale tonight from Ilias Witherow follows a fellow who is spending his birthday up in the mountains on a relaxing hiking trip. But this mountain doesn't like visitors. It wants its inhabitants to stay on a more permanent basis. Without further ado, I present to you Rope. I went camping a few weeks ago. I wanted to be alone after my recent breakup and thought some quiet time with nature would help clear my head. I picked a mountain at random in New Hampshire. I'm not going to tell you which one. Honestly, I can't remember. It took that from me. I drove up on a Friday and started my hike around noon. I made it about halfway to the top and found a good place to pop my little tent. I set up camp and gathered some wood for a fire. It was cold, but I didn't mind. It felt good and cleared my head. By the time I finished setting up, it was dark. I turned on my electric lantern and set to work starting a fire. Soon I had a couple of logs crackling, and I sat close, rubbing my hands together and listening to the silence. Getting lost in my thoughts, I wondered why I hadn't seen anyone else today. It was an odd time to go hiking, but I thought I'd at least see one or two other people. It didn't matter. I was content to be left alone. Eventually, I ate a late dinner and decided to turn in for the night. The cold was making me sleepy, and I figured if I went to bed a little early, I could get an early start. Burying myself under a pile of sleeping bags, I drifted off to sleep. It didn't last long. Sometime around two in the morning, something woke me up. At first, I wasn't sure what it was. The noise was faint and muffled. It sounded far away, but it was enough to break the silence of night. I rubbed my eyes and sat up, training my ears. What was that? Then it hit me. People were singing happy birthday. I unzipped my tent and stuck my head out into the darkness. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. It was coming from way out in the woods, the notes creeping between the black trees toward me. It was strange and a little creepy, hearing that out there in the middle of nowhere. I listened for a few more seconds, noticing how sad it sounded. There was no joy in the voices I heard, none of the usual birthday glee. It sounded like a funeral song, dreary and slow. After a few seconds, the people stopped singing, and then they started over from the beginning. Creeped out and slightly confused, I zipped up my tent and buried myself under my sleeping bag again. I covered my head to block out the noise, shutting my eyes and willing sleep to come. I couldn't hear the voices anymore. I swallowed hard, trying not to think about it. Trying not to think about how my birthday was the next day. I eventually fell asleep, the cold closing my eyes and pulling me down into the darkness of slumber. 
The next day I rose early and decided I'd keep my camp where it was. I pulled out my small pack and loaded it with supplies for a day hike. I wanted to hike to the top and stay there for a few hours, with the intent to hike back to my camp before dark. The trail was a little rough, in obvious need of some grooming, but I enjoyed the challenge. I stopped a few times, about once an hour, to catch my breath and snack on some trail mix. Eventually, I broke through the tree line, and after another hour of hard hiking, I made it to the summit. Once I was up there, I was again surprised to find myself alone. Not a soul to be seen in any direction. I found a good place to sit down and ate while scanning the majestic view around me. A cold wind cut into my coat and I pulled my hood up. I shut my watering eyes and rested my head against the rock I was sitting against. And I fell asleep. When I awoke, I didn't know what time it was, but the sun was going down. Dark splashes of infected purple bled across the sky. The wind was even colder, my whole body shivering against it. I rubbed my arms together as I watched the sun wink out behind the distant mountains. I had maybe half an hour to make it back to my camp before total darkness. That wasn't nearly enough time. I didn't know what to do, torn between staying and trying my luck on the trail. I was afraid I'd freeze to death if I stayed, afraid I'd break my neck if I left. After much internal debate, I sat back down. I had to tough it out and hope I'd make it. I was scared. I pulled my arms into my sleeves and wrapped them around my body. I curled up on the stones and pulled the hood over my head, cutting my view down to a thin line. I don't know how long I lay there until I noticed it. It was off to my left, about ten feet from me, on the edge of my vision. It was a birthday cake. It sat on the rocks with a single lit candle stuck in it. The flame danced in the wind, threatening to extinguish. I sat up, my heart thundering. I looked around in the darkness, prodding the shadows with my eyes, searching for whoever had left it there. Nothing. It was full dark now, a sliver of cold moon hanging in the sky like a bright smile, like it was in on the joke. Even with the light it cast, I didn't see anyone or anything. All the shadows were frozen in place, waiting out the night like I was. I slowly crawled over to the cake and looked down at it. The flame was holding on to the wick for its dear life, the wind viciously trying to tear it away. The frosting was white, the cream hardening in the open air. There was something written on it. Something in red. You are dead. I backed away, suddenly feeling very exposed. I didn't want to stay here anymore. I had to try and make it back to my tent. I stood up, teeth chattering, and noticed my day pack was gone. I spun around, convinced I had just misplaced it, but it was nowhere to be seen. Scared and frustrated, I started back toward the nearest cairn. I stumbled in the darkness, each step a prayer. 
I squinted against the shadows, trying to see the formation of stone beneath my feet. As I made it the hundred yards to the first cairn, I tripped and went sprawling, smacking my face against the indifferent rocks. I felt my upper lip split and my nose crunch as I made contact. Warmth flowed down my chin as I blinked back stars, sucking in sharp breaths on the ground. As I got up, legs shaking, I wiped a thick trail of blood from my face. I was dizzy, the blood chilling in the wind and crusting on my chin and hand. I ran my tongue along my lip and felt where it split. I winced. I should have known I couldn't make it. Not even off the top of the mountain, and I had almost brained myself dead. I wiped the rest of my face clean and took a few deep breaths to steady myself. I looked up from the cairn, which was next to a steep drop-off, and noticed something else. The mountain had grown. I shook my head, convinced I was just seeing things wrong in the moonlight, but I wasn't. As I looked out onto the vast mountain landscape, I noticed that the peaks of all the other mountains were far below the summit on which I stood. That hadn't been the case a few hours ago. It was as if the mountain had shot up another couple hundred feet, rising silently through the dark sky. How could that be, though? It didn't make any sense. Nothing about the night made sense. Not knowing what to make of my new discovery, I ran my hands over my body, checking for any serious injuries from my fall. I seemed to be intact. I looked around the bald expanse of rock, feeling the wind slice into me like a razor. It was then that I wondered if I was going to die out here. My fingers were numb from the cold. My blue lips trembled, and I didn't know what to do. I'd already fallen once, but I had to keep going. The wind was going to kill me. I wouldn't last all night if I didn't find some shelter. I told myself to just be careful, to take it one step at a time. If I kept my body moving, I could at least generate some heat. I squinted in the moonlight, trying to make out the next cairn, the pile of rocks that marked the trail. Even with the moon, I didn't see it, but I remembered the general direction. Taking a deep breath, I started moving again. It was agony, working my way off the summit. I battered my knees and hands countless times, my feet doing their best to hold traction. The wind was relentless, smacking me in the face with an open fist. I almost fell to my death a few times, but my quick reflexes kept me seconds ahead of the end. I was breathing heavily, my frozen muscles exhausted. I don't know how long I descended, making my way to the distant tree line below. I didn't see any more cairns and knew I was probably lost. I didn't care at that point. I just needed to get out of the wind. It felt like no matter how many steps I took, I wasn't getting any closer to my destination. The endless plod, a careful, patient progression, I wasn't sure how much longer I could keep going. 
The moon seemed frozen in the sky. I looked out and saw the distant mountaintop still far below. I checked my watch and saw it was 2 a.m. I'd been walking for two hours now. I'm never going to make it, I thought. I blew into my frozen hands, trying vainly to warm them. Just keep walking. Don't stop. You're dead if you stop. I continued my descent. I figured it was four hours or so until sunrise. I just had to make it until then. I shuddered. There was no way I was going to make it four hours. And that's when I saw it. It was about 50 feet down to my right, nestled against an outcrop of rock formations. A tent. I breathed a sigh of relief. I was saved. There was even a small fire crackling beside it, sheltered from the wind by the stones. I forced myself not to run, continuing the snail-paced descent towards it. I wasn't alone up here. I wasn't going to die. As I approached it, the light from the fire casting shadows on the tent, I paused. I was about five feet from it, the wind partially blocked by a stone wall on my right. I took a step closer, cautious. I heard something from inside. It sounded like someone sucking in big, wet lungfuls of air. And then the tent started shaking violently. I froze, heart thundering, fear creeping up my spine. The sound of the person inside continued. Desperate, urgent breaths sucked down into mucus-coated lungs. The tent kept shaking, the plastic and nylon vibrating as if whatever was inside was having a seizure. Then I felt a tremor run through the stone under my feet. I quickly caught my balance, steadying myself, terrified and confused. What the hell was happening? After a few seconds, the mountain calmed along with the tent. It was silent except for the wind. I took a few uncertain breaths, desperate to warm myself by the fire. I eyed the tent, preparing myself to speak. The flap to the tent unzipped just a few inches. I felt my body lock, my eyes widen, my mind suddenly screaming that I was in danger. A voice came from the opening, a wet, deep whisper. Happy birthday. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. 
I turned and ran, stumbling and tripping, bruising my body in a desperate need to get away. My heart pounded in my chest, confusion and panic pulsing through my bloodstream. The air tore at my face, trying to rip it away with frozen claws. I raced toward the trees. They were closer now than I thought, each fumbled step bringing me near. I didn't know what was going on, didn't understand what was happening. There was something very wrong with the mountain, and I desperately needed to find my way off of it. My limbs were shaking by the time I crashed through the trees. I had countless scrapes and bruises running up and down my body, a testament to my hurried descent. Blood dried quickly in the cold air, and I felt patches of it gripping my skin along my arms. I stopped, now in the sanctuary of the trees, and sucked in hungry lungfuls of air. I placed a hand over my chest and willed my heart to slow. I licked my cracked lips and rolled my head up to stare at the sky, catching my breath. What was that? I thought, fear filling me. What was in that tent? After a few minutes, I assessed my surroundings and began walking. I didn't know where I was. A nagging panic crouched in my subconscious, but I knew going down was good. My knees trembled as my feet took me carefully through the woods. My eyes had adjusted slightly to the darkness, but now that I was under the cover of trees, my vision was severely limited. I mentally crossed my fingers with each step, my fatigued limbs flopping with exhaustion. I focused on nothing but safely putting one foot in front of the other. The dark pressed in around me. The trees swayed overhead as the wind shook them, the sound filling my ears like high tide. Just as I was starting to become optimistic, something changed around me. Noises. Quiet at first, and then slowly growing in volume. I stopped, one foot planted on a downed tree in front of me. I swung my head around, eyes growing wide, throat clenching with fear. Something was crashing through the woods, headed right for me. Judging by the cacophony of snapping branches and crushed foliage, it was only twenty or thirty yards away and closing quickly. Making a split-second decision, I hopped over the log and rolled against it, wedging my body in as far as I could. I grabbed an armful of dirt, twigs, and dead leaves and pulled them toward me to cover my body. I waited, heart crunching against my ribs with violent terror. The crashing had almost reached me. It was deafening now. I swallowed hard and squeezed my eyes shut. Suddenly, something huge and white flowed over the log, passing over me at an alarming speed. It crashed into the underbrush in front of me and then disappeared, leaving trails of cold fog behind it. I didn't move, paralyzed with fear. I listened to the sound of the thing diminish the night returning to its dark soundtrack. I exhaled. What the hell was that? It didn't hold any form, just passing me in a blur of faded mist. 
I was beginning to question my sanity. Things were happening outside the realm of possibility. The weird cake on the summit, the unexplainable growth of the mountain, the voice in the tent. It all came crashing down around me in that moment. I felt disjointed, my reality sinking in murky chaos. Am I dead? I rolled out from the log and stood, cautiously eyeing the black woods. I winced as the wind cascaded around me, slapping my battered skin with angry hands. I shivered and sunk into myself. I felt helpless. I was impossibly lost. I didn't have a clue which direction to walk. And I was thirsty. I bent down and found a dirty pebble. I rubbed the dirt off it and popped it in my mouth. I remembered hearing that was supposed to help. As I rolled it around on my tongue, I decided that no matter what, I wasn't going to give in to despair. I couldn't. As soon as I let that in, it was over for me. I just had to keep working towards something. I had to keep myself as positive as possible. The temptation to panic was all too present. I could feel it under my skin, screaming and thrashing to be released. I needed to start walking again. Standing around, waiting for that thing to come back, wasn't going to solve any of my problems. As I was about to go, I noticed something lying on the ground to my left at the end of the log. I crouched down and examined it. It was a rope, about as thick as my thigh. I ran my fingers over the cords and traced it in the darkness. It was pulled taut along the forest floor and ran off into the woods lost over the horizon of my vision. I felt a pang of hope. This rope led somewhere. Someone put this here. If I followed it, maybe I could finally get off this godforsaken mountain. My heart fluttered with newfound optimism, and I leaned down and picked up the heavy cords of nylon. I just needed to follow this out of here. I began to walk, the thick rope straining through my fingers. I noticed that it was vibrating slightly, as if the end was tied to something mechanical. As I walked, I glanced at my watch and saw that it was almost four in the morning. The sun would be up in about two hours. I felt like it had been days since I'd seen the light. I ached for the warmth daylight would bring. The bones in my fingers seemed to crack in the cold as they gripped the rope. I swore to myself that if I ever got out of here, I was going to wear gloves for the rest of my life. My feet crunched through the foliage, brush and branches, catching me at the knees. I pushed on, the rope leading me deeper and deeper into the woods. A constant vibration running through it encouraged me to keep walking. After another twenty minutes of slow progression, the vibrations became more intense. I shifted the rope in my grip, trying to get a better hold of it. It almost seemed like electricity was flowing through it, but that was impossible. I'd be dead if that was the case. Suddenly, I stumbled forward as something jerked on the rope. I let go and went sprawling to my hands and knees, 
wincing as something sharp cut into my palms. What was that? I wondered, brushing my stinging hands against my pants. I stood up and picked the rope back up, cautiously loosening my grip so I wouldn't get pulled down again. The rope jerked again. The cords crunching the line went taut. I was pulled forward but didn't fall, keeping my balance and steadying myself against a tree. I leaned against it, waiting for another pull, but after a couple of seconds, I assumed whatever was causing it had ceased. I hefted the rope under my arm and was about to continue when I froze. They were all around me. Tiny black figures with eyes like hot coals. They were hovering in the air. Small puffs of darkness pulled into a human shape. Some looked at me from behind trees, there are glowing eyes cutting into the black. None of them moved. I felt a scream rising in my throat, but I forced it down with a hard swallow. Despite the cold, I felt sweat along my spine. The closest one was about six or seven feet away, above me to my left. It was just hovering. I scanned my surroundings and counted eight of them in total. I waited for them to do something, but they remained still, painted into the night. My mind was buzzing, trying to pile together some sort of explanation as to what I was seeing. The words on the birthday cake formed like a picture in my mind, and I frantically pushed the image aside. Slowly, very slowly, I began to inch forward, continuing along the rope. My eyes were laser-trained on the figures, snapping between each of them, waiting for them to react. They didn't move, only watched as I slid between the trees, away from them. I expected them to follow, maybe even charge me, but I remained the only one being in motion. My head was locked over my shoulder as I passed by them. I was holding my breath, begging the leaves underfoot to be silent, as I crunched down over them. One step. Two. Five. I exhaled and took another couple steps, leaving them behind me. As I followed the rope deeper into the woods, I kept a vigilant lookout for any more of the strange beings. My mind was reeling. What were those things? The way they watched me, silent and unmoving, chilled me more than wind. I forcefully pushed all thoughts out of my head, draining my confusion and fear like dirty water. Once I was safe, I could dwell on the questions, but for now, I just needed to get out of here. The rope continued to wind along the mountain, sometimes going down, other times leading back up. I had no idea how far I had come. After a while, I fell into a rhythm take three steps, adjust my grip on the rope, look around, take another three steps. I felt like I was in a trance, my mind a blank space between my ears. There was nothing that existed except the mountain and wind. I realized that one could never get used to the cold. 
It chilled me as much as it had at the top of the mountain. Walking was the only thing that kept my joints from locking up, frozen in excruciating pain. I felt like if I stopped, I would just lay down and let fate have its way with me. The thought scared me, the temptation and ease of just giving up. I realized I still had the pebble in my mouth. I spit it out and ran my tongue along my lips. What I wouldn't give for a sip of water. A blast of wind through the trees sent my teeth chattering again, and I slowed my pace and squeezed my eyes shut against it. My eyes were trembling, rattled by the icy assault, my knees knocking together like two swollen walnuts. The air settled and I sped up. Would anyone come looking for me if I didn't make it out of here? How long would I last if this rope led to nothing? What would I do then? I shook my head in the darkness, trying not to let despair overcome me. One thing at a time. First, see where this leads. Then go from there. I needed to focus on solving one thing at a time. Get to the end of the rope. I noticed it was still vibrating, the strange hum running up the cords and across my hands. No sooner had I noticed than the rope jerked again. It caught me off guard and I fell, crashing down onto rocks and dead branches. Cursing, I got to my hands and knees, amazed I hadn't done any major damage to my body. What the hell was doing that? I glanced at my palms in the moonlight, assessing the new scratches and cuts. I took a moment, filling my lungs with air, and then continued. The underbrush stuck to my pant legs, snagging and slowing me any chance it got. The ground was uneven and rocky as I crossed the ungroomed terrain. My feet were aching, each step sending a pulse of pain up my legs. The rope twisted its way between trees, around rock formations, and across thick foliage. I began to wonder if the rope went on forever. Between the noises of night, I began to hear something else. At first, I thought it was my mind playing tricks on me. But the more I walked, the more I was sure. Running water. I started walking a little faster. As much as I dared in the dark, my mouth a dry sponge. The thick rope trickled through my fingers as I went, taking me closer and closer to the sound. My tongue felt like it was made of cotton balls, the distance splashing causing the sensation to worsen. My breath rattled out of dry lungs, exhaling what felt like mouthfuls of sand. I begged myself to slow. If I hurt myself now, it was over. With every step, I prayed I wouldn't roll my ankle. I just needed a drink of water. That would make everything so much better. It was close now, the flow of water on rocks filling the night. A few minutes later, I found it. It was a fairly large stream, maybe five feet wide. The rope led across it, floating perpendicular on the surface. I dropped to my knees and sank my face below the surface, shaking with excited relief. The water was shockingly cold as I submerged my mouth, 
pulling in sweet mouthfuls of nature's blood. I pulled my head up, sputtering and coughing as I choked. I took a few breaths, forcing myself to calm down, then lowered myself and continued to drink. What are you doing here? I jumped and went sprawling, startled by the sudden voice. I stared around in the darkness, searching for the source. My heart galloped in my chest and my eyes went wide with shock. A man stood across the stream, staring at me. He looked to be middle-aged, a trimmed beard lining his face. He was wearing jeans and a white T-shirt that rippled in the wind. If the cold bothered him, he didn't show it. I pulled myself up, relief rocking me. I was saved. The nightmare was over. "'What are you doing here?' he asked again, his voice a cool breath on the wind. I bumbled at first, the overwhelming relief jamming the words in my throat. I calmed myself and then began to recount my horrible experience since I arrived. I told him about the singing, the cake, the tent, the strange black shapes, with glowing eyes, everything. He remained silent as I spoke. After a moment, he said, You're not supposed to be here. I blinked in the moonlight, confused, and explained to him that I was lost. I told him that I found this rope and had been following it, hoping it led to something. His eyes darted at the rope at my feet and his tone hardened. You've been following that? I nodded and began to feel uneasy. There was something off with this guy. I didn't know if it was the way he was dressed or the way his voice seemed to carry on the wind. He seemed completely passive until I mentioned the rope and now his brow was furrowed and his face creased in hostility. He began to shake his head. Turn around. Go the other way. You don't belong here. I threw my hands up, mouth agape. I told him that there was nothing back there, that I needed help, that I was lost. I pointed down the rope and told him that following this was my best chance to find a way out. His face grew shadows in the moonlight, and his voice turned to frozen steel. Listen to me. You do not want to know what's at the other end of that rope. I stood there. A response caught in my throat. I closed my mouth and looked down at my feet, eyeing the corded fibers. What was he talking about? I looked up at him and saw he was watching me closely. I wanted to ask him a million questions, get some answers to the nightmares I'd seen tonight. I wanted to know who he was, where he came from. I wanted to know what was at the end of the rope. I wanted to know how to get out of here. But they dissolved on my tongue, leaving only the one question that had been hovering over my head since this began. I swallowed hard. Am I dead? He cocked his head, a small smile dancing at the corners of his mouth. You're the only thing on this mountain that isn't. His words confirmed what I already feared. 
I shuffled my feet, watching the water run by. Silence grew between us. I didn't know what to say. I was afraid of the answers I would get. He broke the emptiness first. It wants to keep you here. My eyes met his again. What does? The mountain? He nodded, stepping towards me and placing a foot on the rope. You said the mountain appeared to grow. It doesn't want you to leave. For whatever reason, you were able to find this place and walk among us. Now it doesn't want to let you go. My voice shook. Can I... Can I escape this place? He sighed and took another step closer, his feet splashing into the stream. Yes, but you better hurry. I don't know how much longer you have before you join us. We have already learned so much about you. There are those who would rather you stayed. My heart was beating hard in my chest and my voice came out in a whisper. What is this place? He was standing in the middle of the stream now, getting closer. It's where the dead go when they have no place above or below. He took another step towards me and I saw his eyes go red. And we can never leave. This mountain is our eternity. I took a step back, almost tripping over the rope at my feet. Why not? If I can go, why can't you? He was standing mere feet from me now. He pointed down the length of the rope. If you saw what was at the other end, you would understand. We are kept here. There is no hope for us. We're dead. He smiled suddenly, but it held no humor. Maybe one day you'll come back to us. Maybe there will be no room for you, above or below. Maybe you'll get sent here. He was inches from me now, his voice grating up his throat. Maybe then you'll get to see what this is tied to. He bent down, picked up the rope, holding it out to me. Take it. I hesitated, rooted where I stood by uncertainty and fear. I didn't want to take it, didn't want to look at it. I saw it vibrating in his hands, the dirty cords shaking in the dying moonlight. He offered the rope to me again. Take it. Follow it back the way you came. Trust me, you'll be out of the woods before the sun comes up. I licked my lips and took the rope, trying to find honesty in the man's eyes. That doesn't make sense. It'll be light in less than an hour. I've been following this thing all night. His eyes shined in the darkness. Trust me, it's the only chance you have. I don't know why I believed him, but I did, as he said, and he was right. Just as the sun peeked out over the mountaintops, I stumbled out of the woods, battered, beaten, and exhausted. I dropped the rope and fell to my knees, relief drowning me as I spotted my car. I couldn't believe it. I had made it out. I looked over my shoulder and saw the rope disappear into the foliage. 
slowly being pulled back by some unseen force. I shivered. What the hell had I just lived through? Who was that man? And why did he help me? At that moment, I didn't care. I just wanted to get away from this goddamn mountain. I stumbled into my car, pulled the keys out from under the seat, fingers trembling. I started my car and pulled away. I felt tears run down my cheeks, and I realized that I was surprised to be alive. I'm still haunted by that trip. I'll never forget the fear and horror I was exposed to. I haven't set foot in any woods since then, and I don't think I will be any time soon. One thing that still scares me, though, it was what the man said. Maybe you'll get sent here. I've started going to church, those words driving me to my knees and seeking comfort in religion. I don't care what I have to do, what kind of sacrifices I need to make. I'll do anything so I don't have to go back to that mountain. I'll do anything so I don't have to see what's at the end of that rope. I hope you enjoyed Rope, as written by author Elias Witherow and performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that first tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support them by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash Elias. Again, that's simplyscarypodcast.com slash Elias, spelled E-L-I-A-S. And you'll be redirected to his Amazon profile, where you can check out his novels, including The Black Farm and its sequel, among other frightening tales. And by all means, if you enjoy what you've read, don't forget to leave him a five-star review and a kind word, and let him know you heard about him here on this show. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. Our second trek into the dark recesses of the unknown begins now, courtesy once again of Mr. Witherow. In it, a fishing expedition starts out as a pleasant, tranquil trip to the lake for two friends. Until, that is, they realize they are not alone. If only their company was more human than it appears. Without further ado, I present to you The Mannequin Lake. I gently lowered the canoe into the calm water. Matt stood behind me, clutching the two oars, anxious to start fishing. Ripples rose to life and expanded out into the vast lake, quiet trumpets that announced our entry into the cool blue realm. The sun crept over the looming trees that surrounded the lake, its golden rays filtered through the thick greenery. The air was muggy and humid, a teaser of the coming heat the day would bring. Wildlife chirped and cooed around us as we carefully stepped into the canoe, the beautiful morning bringing with it an air of excitement. Matt and I had been trying to go fishing for weeks. Work and previous engagements delayed our plans until finally, gloriously, our schedules lined up. 
Earlier that morning, Matt had picked me up at the apartment, already gearing up for our big day. As I groggily climbed into his pickup, wiping sleep from my eyes, I saw an array of poles, tackle boxes, and coolers in the bed of his truck. We were finally going fishing. It didn't take long for me to wake up. How'd you find this place again? I asked Matt as he handed me an oar and pushed us off from the bank. He shrugged and told me one of his friends had heard about it. We were surrounded by a New Hampshire wilderness, a two-hour drive down a lonely, empty road that took us deep into the New England mountains. When we had arrived half an hour ago, the dawn was just giving way to daylight color, the perfect time to go fishing. Our oars slid effortlessly into the calm water as we began to row out into the great expanse of serene beauty. A mist rose off the surface of the water, and I imagined it was the nighttime darkness retreating beneath the coming sun. The tackle box lay at my feet, a massive thing that held every sort of lure and bait imaginable. Matt was big into fishing, which in turn had piqued my curiosity about the matter. This was the first time I was going, the anticipation of possibly catching something fueling my sluggish body. As we drifted further and further from the bank, I heard a pop and hiss behind me. I stopped rowing for a moment and looked back. Matt sheepishly grinned at me as he took a sip of beer. I laughed and reached around to the small cooler and retrieved one for myself. Why not? It was part of the experience, right? The bank grew further and further away as we continued to row out into the lake. By the time I had finished half my beer, Matt called out for me to halt. I slid my oar inside the canoe and felt us drift a couple more feet, the craft slowing. After taking one last pull from his beer, Matt set the can down and began to string our poles. I handed him the tackle box and he opened it. I watched, grinning, as he examined the contents. He looked like a mad scientist trying to determine the best chemical for his new deadly potion. Finally, he snatched up a shiny lure and nodded it to the fishing line. He did mine next and then showed me the best way to cast. It seemed simple enough. But on my first attempt, the pole jerked and the line remained immobile. Matt let out a laugh as he instructed me again on the workings of a good cast. I flipped the lock and pinched my finger to the string, trapping it to the pole. In one smooth motion, I flicked it, releasing the line, and watched in delight as the hook soared through the air and into the water with a satisfying splash. Matt slapped me on the back and turned to cast from the other side of the canoe, and then we waited. We sipped our beer, tasting unexpectedly delicious in the early hours, and chatted idly. Every so often, we'd reel our lines back in and recast. It was a methodical experience, and I found myself enjoying it immensely. The calm around us seemed to help, an isolated slice of nature reserved perfectly for us. The sky melted in brilliant color as the sun continued to timidly climb the sky. 
Morning birds chirped in conversation from the distant shore, and I cracked open another beer. As I took my first sip from the fresh can, I noticed something on the far bank. I squinted and tried to make out what it was. It was by the water's edge, a lone, tall smudge of darkness. It looked like a mannequin, an impossibly black, frozen mannequin. Matt, what the hell is that? I asked, guiding his gaze with my finger. His brow furrowed, a look of curious bewilderment creasing his face. He shrugged and said he didn't know. And then he looked behind me and his eyes widened. Look, there's another one, he exclaimed. I whipped around and sure enough, a second tar-black mannequin stood motionless on the opposite bank. It creeped me out, the strange display in direct contrast to the nature around us. I swallowed and began to reel in my line. As I did, I scanned the entirety of the shore, my eyes working like a spinning radar, searching for abnormalities. There were four of them, all on opposite sides of the lake. They just stood right at the water's edge like they were watching us. Matt was shaking his head, cracking open another beer of his own. He didn't seem as weirded out as I was, but that was just his nature. In all the years of our friendship, I was always the cautious one. And from deep inside me, I knew something was wrong. Suddenly, just a couple of feet from our canoe, the surface of the lake rippled as something broke the surface. The noise captured our attention, and both of us turned to address the sound. What is that? I asked, leaning forward. It was round and glowing, an abnormal shade of yellow, almost like a light bulb. It bobbed on the surface, pulsing, a strange glow blinking in the water. I grabbed my paddle and maneuvered our canoe until we were right next to it. It looked like a rock, illuminated by some strange source in its core. With a puzzled look on his face, Matt leaned down and picked it up. No sooner had his fingers breached the surface than something came rocketing out of the water. I didn't have time to register what it was as Matt suddenly screamed and clutched his arm, falling back inside the boat. My eyes went wide as I realized what Matt was clawing at. The length of his arm was wrapped in a tight black wire with a long curled hook buried deep into his shoulder. Blood poured from the wound as he howled, fingers grasping at the source of agony. I gaped, unsure what to do, my mind blanking in a panic. Help me! Get it off! Matt screamed, gritting his teeth as he tried to pull the, the sharp point from his flesh. I scrambled into action, taking his arm and carefully examining the hook. It was about three inches long and had sunk into his skin just below the collarbone. Before I had time to do anything, Matt was suddenly jerked forward, his body slamming into the side of the boat. He screamed as the line binding him tightened, the wire a chaotic pattern that snaked up his arm. It's trying to pull me under, he yelled, blood running down his arm. Cut me free! Cut me free! Hurry! I scrambled in a panic, knocking over the tackle box in my confusion. What the hell was going on? What was happening? Where had the line come from?
What was down there? I snatched up the fillet knife, its blade dangerously sharp, and turned back to Matt. He was bracing himself against the side of the boat as the line continued to tighten. Angry, bloody lines began to form along his arm as the wire ate into his flesh. Hurry! He screamed, spittle flying from his lips, tears forming in his eyes. I snatched the dark wire and slashed the knife across it. The blade bounced off harmlessly. Breathing heavily, trying not to go into hysterics, I tried again. The result was the same. The knife did nothing. No, 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 no! Matt howled as his strength suddenly gave way. A sharp jerk on the line robbed him of his remaining resolve, and he was pulled into the water with a terrified howl. He disappeared under the surface with alarming speed. I sat, gasping, eyes wide and bloodshot, staring at where he had been pulled under. I gripped the side of the canoe and began to scream his name, heart thundering in my chest. I scanned the clear water but couldn't see him. Matt! I screamed, throat tightening with fear. Suddenly he sputtered to the surface behind me. A desperate gasp of air was all he was afforded before being pulled down under again. I spun just in time to see his terrified eyes disappear into the splashing water. Without thinking, I stood up, still gripping the knife, and dove in after him. The water was surprisingly cold, and I felt a ripple of shock shoot through my body like freezing electricity. I broke the surface and gasped, spinning and searching wildly for any signs of my friend. About ten feet away, he splashed to the surface once again, his face exhausted and filled with horror. Help me! He howled before getting sucked down. I took a deep breath and plunged beneath the surface. I opened my eyes, the clear water revealing a dark world beneath me. I spotted Matt struggling desperately as the line tried to drag him deeper into the depths. I kicked out towards him, my eyes following the line that bound him, down to the bottom of the lake. I froze, eyes bulging in the water, fear paralyzing my mind. I spotted the source. Standing at the bottom of the lake were two dark mannequins holding fishing poles, and their faces were painted to look exactly like Matt's and my own. They were grinning, and the one with my face was helping the other one reel in Matt. They were pulling him deeper towards his death. I forced myself forward, pushing through my terrified horror. I clutched the knife between my teeth and swam deeper into the cold depths towards Matt. I could tell he didn't have much time. Muscles burning, I pulled myself through the water and finally reached him, steadying myself against him, one hand on his shoulder. Matt thrashed wildly and tried to grab at me, but I spun him around quickly so I could confront the source of his slow death. I gripped his shoulder and tried to wedge the knife between the hook and his flesh, but as I did so, I realized that it wouldn't matter. The tangle of line that wrapped around his arm was keeping him under just as much as the hook was. I began to feel my chest ache, and I realized I didn't have much hair left. My lungs groaned for oxygen, and I could hear my heartbeat growing louder in my ears. I knew if I went up for air that Matt would die. I looked down and saw the mannequins fighting against us thirty feet below. 
The one that had my face smiled at me, and I felt cold evil swirl around us. I had a decision to make. I looked into Matt's fading eyes and gripped a knife. I began to cut his arm off at the shoulder. Blood diluted the water around us as Matt's muted screams echoed in my ears. I gritted my teeth, shock pumping through my veins as I hit bone, jaw popping with effort, chest now screaming for air. I sliced through, my muscles aching. And then suddenly, Matt was free. His head rolled aimlessly in the water as consciousness abandoned him. Darkness crept into my vision as I wrapped my arm around his body and jetted us toward the surface. My heart crashed into my head, begging for air, and my brain fired as much adrenaline as it could muster through my exhausted body. Struggling against the coming blackout, I looked down at the mannequins. They stared back up at me, their bodies now frozen in furious anger. I had severed their lifeline. Gasping, I broke the surface, sucking down desperate lungfuls of sweet air. I sputtered and hacked, struggling against the weight of my unconscious friend. Blood trailed behind us, a path of gory carnage. Blessedly, the canoe was only a few strokes away. Wheezing, I pulled my soaking body over the side, then tugged Matt inside behind me, screaming with effort. The bottom of the boat filled with blood and Matt's skin was deathly pale. His eyes remained shut, but I saw that he was still breathing. I tore off my shirt and pressed it against the wound, praying it would be enough. We were hours from help, hours from anyone, and my friend was bleeding to death right in front of me. Tears welled up in my eyes as I begged God for help raking my mind for some kind of way to stop Matt's fast-approaching death. I grabbed an oar and began to furiously paddle toward the shore. My vision blurred as I wept. My mind rocked with the horror I had just gone through. Matt was dead by the time I reached the bank. Matt's funeral was yesterday. I sat quietly in the back as I watched his distraught family sob around me. I don't know what to tell them. I don't know how to explain the terror we went through. The police don't know what to make of my story, and neither do the wildlife rangers. I was hysterical when I arrived at the hospital on that fateful day. I'm sure they interpreted my distraught account however they needed to, so that it made sense to them. It doesn't matter. Matt is dead. And somewhere out there, in the upper corner of New Hampshire... There's an evil that wants to go fishing again. I hope you enjoyed The Mannequin Lake by author Elias Witherow, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed the tales you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured author has more for you to sink your teeth into. Just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Ilias. Once more, that's simplyscarypodcast.com slash Ilias, spelled E-L-I-A-S, and you'll find yourself on the author's Amazon profile, 
where you'll find an assortment of his work for sale today. Beyond the Black Farm, he has The Third Parent available, and give his thought catalog a perusal if you're finding sleep is coming a little too easily lately. And if you decide to give any of this talented author's books a read, please consider leaving him a quality review and a kind word. And be sure to let him know you heard about him on this program and that Otis sent you. It would mean a lot to me. Thanks again for your support of this show and of tonight's featured author. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can also subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Gyre channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Gyre. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep. If you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, The Otis Jiry Channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at 
Otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.